everyone, welcome back to another episode of Stories of Us. I'm your host, Shreve Murdy. Today I'm here with Adam Shi. Adam is the founder of Smart Agriculture, a grassroots collection of high school students at Lambert High School working together to blend science and technology into agriculture in order to ch- change the world and basically the food supply. How are you, Adam? Doing great. Well, thanks so much for being on my podcast. No problem. So tell me what inspired you to start Smart Agriculture and create this hydroponics organization at our school. So what really inspired me to create um, Smart Agriculture was basically when I was younger, I read a book that said U.S. topsoil is set to run out by 2070 or sometime around that time frame. And that really worried me as a kid because, you know, 2070, I was born in 2000. I'll probably still be alive around then. So it's literally in my hands to fix this food supply problem in the United States and shift the agriculture into a more sustainable way. Why do you think hydroponics is more sustainable than like the conventional agriculture approach? So I can get into a lot about (laughs) why like it's more sustainable Basically, for in layman terms, it's more sustainable because it saves water. Mm-hmm. So it saves 90% of the water that you would use to usually farm. And what it does is it doubles the growth of your plants. So let's say strawberries usually take 40 days to grow. Uh, in a hydroponic environment, they'll only take 20, 20 days to mature, to, to bloom and to fruit and all that. Right. And I guess, what were the initial stages of making Smart Agriculture into an actual organization like? Like, I remember you were literally in the back of my chemistry teacher's classroom growing <laughs> some plants that you named Kaylee. So tell me about that. So basically, my approach to anything in life is to start small and scale it up. So how I started was we went around at the mall and we asked some cookie cookie vendors like great american cookies for buckets because the first setup i wanted to do was to do a deep water culture and that's basically you put the plant water water with nutrients and you put a little like air supply so it's the water inside of the bucket is like hyper oxygenated so the plant would be happy and we went around we got some buckets from these cookie stores and we got pizza bucket i went home i cleaned it out it was really smelly because it was like one was a pizza sauce. I'm still using the bucket right now to grow a cucumber and you can still smell the like the tomato sauce. But so we started we started small. We had two buckets, two plants because I wanted to try two different methods. And what we did was during that time it was not it was not good for our plants. We did not know what we're doing for most of the time because the knowledge on hydroponics is so limited. So it's basically us trying to figure stuff out with chemistry knowledge and biology knowledge and watching like some YouTube videos on people's like phones and stuff like that. But we started small, we ran into a lot of obstacles. One of the obstacles we ran into was maintaining a good water temperature and that was huge because uh, from that, we learned that water temperature is directly correlated with bacteria growth. 
So our water was a little too hot most of the time. So we, we tried a lot of stuff. We tried ice packs around the bucket. We tried putting ice into the bucket twice a day and stuff like that. But what we settled on was just, I was thinking one day, like, what kills bacterium? And I was using human stuff. And I thought hydrogen peroxide because the free radicals in the hydrogen peroxide would like clean the stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So we started using hydrogen peroxide on the roots, on the plant roots, and that actually worked. So that that one discovery really led me to like pursue hydroponics. Like when I could combine science, the science I was learning in school with these actual plants in some chemistry closet, it really made me happy. Right. And I guess scaling from those two buckets, you guys went ahead and created some greenhouses, but I'm sure there was like some setbacks on trying to get to that place as well as trying to, I guess, get all of this approved by the school. So talk to me about that process. So we, we, we built the greenhouse and it was actually donated by one of our mentors and for the greenhouse itself there weren't too many setbacks so it's just hard work we just had a we just i'm not an engineering person but i had to learn a lot about engineering and physics even physics but i had to learn a lot a lot of outside knowledge to run the plants and i guess that was our major setback just learning the knowledge and then learning more plant biology because Mm -hmm. uh during the time it was like summer there's a lot of bugs there's a lot of pests and there's all that kind of stuff and for plants right plants they're they're tough fighters but you you push them to their limits that's what we're trying to do we push our plants to the limits and you never want to go above the limit so we had to learn where the limit was at for like temperature for um the amount of nutrients you could put in and stuff like that and so we we had a greenhouse with 100 plants and we were growing lettuce, kale, basil, cucumbers, strawberries, just like uh, bok choy, all that stuff. We we're growing all that stuff in this one greenhouse over the summer. And it was a massive success. Uh, we harvested a lot and we actually made a lot of products from the plants that we're growing during the summer. And since I think since we showed so much success, like over the summer, the school, the school science department, we had to give a little pitch to them and it was just a breeze to get the school to agree. And we got the school to agree to give us this little like abandoned courtyard, which was like full of weeds and stuff like that to put our greenhouse in. And we just, we just packed our greenhouse up in a U-Haul, drove to school, set it up at school. And that was how we began began this year at Lambert. Right. And you also, along with trying to create this greenhouse, you also did some, you know, personal individual research as part of like an extra class you did at school. Talk to me about a little bit about that extra research. So that extra research, it got stopped due to the COVID stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think if if the research goes through, maybe I'll I'll go back to it some other day, hopefully soon. But my research was on um, the effect of pressure on hydroponic plants, 
And what I really wanted to see is I really support the idea that Elon Musk has about going like extraterrestrial. We need to go to Mars <laughs> because if you look at Marth, uh, Earth, mm-hmm. like it, this planet's not going to last forever. We're trashing it. All this stuff is going on. And Mars is coming soon, right? Elon Musk is going to send stuff there 2022. And one of the biggest things about like Mars is like finding food. Right. And growing food on Mars. And the thing about Mars, or even the moon, I was thinking about the moon too, is that the pressure, right, is different from the pressure on Earth. And hydroponics is probably going to be used on Mars or on the moon if we're going to be colonizing there, if we're going to be growing plants there. Everybody's talking about hydroponics, but no one's talking about the effect of pressure on those hydroponic plants. So my research would have been on like kale, lettuce, and just like general stuff you grow in a hydroponic setting and how the pressure really affects it. I see. I see. That's really cool. But how, yeah, that's like, I never really thought about how hydroponics will not only meet this like unmet need right now relating to food insecurity, as well as just lack of access to food, but also it can further progress I guess, the extent of humanity and allow us to colonize other places and have really considered hydroponics in space, which is really neat. It's, I I just think that we, we're going to go to the moon or to <laughs> Mars and we're going to be settling down there, so. Yeah, probably, most likely. Yeah. Um, so if you were giving, like, advice to a person that's, like, just starting out a hydroponic setup, what are some things to consider? Because basically what you're trying to create is, like, a whole new ecosystem. And I imagine that there's a lot of things balanced, like you said, like pH, temperature, the amount of nutrients. So I guess how do you manage those things and establish an efficient way to sustain like a hydroponic system? So the advice I would give is if you want to grow a plant, it's not that hard. (laughs) But if you want it to grow like more efficiently, like if you want to maximize the efficiency, that's where the hard part comes in. Because like i don't know like commercial farms they're trying to maximize everything right and it's crazy hard to do that it takes a lot of money a lot of time a lot of manpower so if someone's just starting out i would say don't worry about making everything perfect the plants they'll do the work themselves right right i guess another thing is hydroponics is increasingly going into urban areas it's becoming a part of like urban agriculture and addressing food deserts. So talk to me a little bit about how you think hydroponics is currently addressing the food insecurity that initially inspired you to look into unconventional agriculture. Well, I, I disagree that it's solving food insecurity. I think it's actually, it's probably increasing food insecurity right. in most areas because hydroponics right now, like vertical farming, if you want to talk about that vertical farming right now, the cost is insanely high right. and stuff growing from a vertical farm is it's, I I saw some article like Aero Garden mm-hmm. in Newark, New Jersey, like four ounces of kale or something like that was crazy expensive. And I calculated it and it came out to be $16 per pound of kale grown hydroponically. Wow which is insane. Like that's not solving any food issues right there. Right. So 
I think we still have a long way to go to see hydroponics become more cost effective mm -hmm. and cost efficient for the average consumer because right now it's it's just venture capital dumping right. burning money right right that's really interesting because i guess the project that i'm working on which is more related towards aquaponics is actually the other day we actually had a call with like some urban planners and talked about the increasing role of using unconventional agriculture to like address food deserts and we also had the same concern about our system costs like upwards of thousands and thousands of dollars first of all where are we going to get the funding and then second of all how are we going to get you know community members to volunteer and help sustain the system and additionally like there's so much safety concerns of like if you put your fingers in like the fish tank or something like that destroys the entire ecosystem so it's definitely true that i think there is still a long way to go but i just thought it would be an interesting approach to see if that can be addressed but yeah yeah so i was reading some article the other day and it said that 30,000 square feet of like vertical farming will cost at least four million dollars just for the infrastructure Wow, and that doesn't even account for the like 200k that you spend a year on like workers and for labor for vertical farming hydroponics you actually have to train your people you can't just use migrant workers who come here for the season right. and they leave you actually have to train them year-round full-time they actually have to have like science computer science backgrounds or biology plant biology backgrounds and the you have to maintain everything right, right. the leds the led costs for electricity insanely high right now mm -hmm. um you're heating you're cooling so right now i think hydroponics even though i would love to see it succeed it's just not feasible for the average average farmer right and I guess, do you have any ideas about how we can make these systems more frugal in the case of like, could, could we use like reusable plastics or something to make the pipes? Or is it as sustainable, sustainable of putting these hydroponic systems outside instead of using LED lights? Like, do you now have any idea of how we can try to make it more cost effective? So there's a few ways to make it more cost effective. And I think, um, well, give me one second. Let me think about it. Well, I think first of all, it's time. So I think time is actually the biggest thing here because as U.S. topsoil runs out, as I mentioned in the past, um, and as like water runs out, because if you look at California, California is becoming the desert right, right now. And California is like our biggest agriculture hub in the United States. So... And California produces a lot of like water intensive like crops and especially nuts. California, they love to produce nuts and nuts take crazy amount of water. Well, I'm getting off track here, but <laughs> I think for, first of all, it's time. And I've, I've actually been thinking about this for a long time. And I think that as of now, there aren't going to be any major breakthroughs in hydroponics just due to the fact that it's... It's just like a money sinkhole. Right. But I think by like 2040, 2050, there's going to be so many like young entrepreneurs coming around and trying to innovate agriculture. That's okay. And with time, right, technology becomes better. Because right now, technology is a big part of uh, hydroponics, vertical farming. And technology especially in leds if you look at the leds that were like in 2010 they sucked 
and now they're way more cost efficient they're way brighter and they're just way better so i i the date that i have in mind for a hydroponics to explode is like 2040 2050 and by then imagine like how good the leds will be maybe like the cost to run an led light to power like your greenhouse will be so minuscule that everybody will flock to hydroponics right but also there has to be more basic science going into hydroponics because right now everybody's just growing kale lettuce expensive like crops like that or like saffron i don't even know (laughs) just and microgreens right right and the reason why people are growing that i'm not gonna like it makes sense in a capitalistic society it makes sense but as like the world resources run out as arable land runs out and stuff like that we must find a way to grow cash crops hydroponically right so like i know that you can grow rice hydroponically but no one's doing that and the reason no one's doing that is because the cost of growing rice regularly the regular way is so cheap like rice is so cheap these days even though rice is one of the like hardest things to grow in the world it takes so much manpower so much effort and so much water to grow right so we have to figure out how to grow these cash crops and another another thing that we have to look out for is as as like the world's becoming richer and richer you can look at africa like africa they're becoming richer and richer china india everybody's getting money where at least they're getting like better standard of living Mm -hmm. and what happens when people increase their standard of living is they shift from grains so like rice wheat stuff like that to proteins and not only proteins in like the plant sense like soybeans and stuff like that but also proteins like animal proteins so we have to figure out a way so i see two different outcomes for this Mm -hmm. The first outcome is like artificial meat and like beyond meat taking off. And I really hope that's the outcome that happens. Mm -hmm. Like artificial meat. I'm not talking about like fake meat. I'm talking about like actual like artificial meat, like the beyond burgers and then possible burgers. Wait, explain the difference between those things and I guess how hydroponics relates to that. So it's actually not hydroponics. Oh, it's actually oh, more like yeah, I got it. You were talking about like proteins and like these. Yeah, yeah I'm just talking about proteins. Okay. So, I if there's, I think there's major space for that stuff to grow, mm-hmm. and then that stuff grows. Maybe it'll take off the burden for hydroponics, but if that stuff doesn't grow, let's say it can't be factored, it can't be made at like a cheap price for everyone in the world, mm-hmm. then we we have to figure out a way hydroponically to grow like soybeans corn and stuff like that because most of our most of our crops actually go to feed the animals right and that's a major problem right now because it's just causing a lot of waste like the reason why we're burning down the amazon rainforest is to make more space to grow corn corn and soybeans to feed the cattle to feed the pigs to feed the chicken so maybe hydroponics will take over soybean growth and whatnot but i I honestly can't tell right now what's going to happen with that but it's a very interesting thing to look at right and i guess that seems like a more 
effective approach than trying to, you know, grow these very expensive, almost inefficiently, like types of, like you said, like leafy greens, kale, stuff like that, and try to address food insecurity for people who can't afford it, but rather try to invest more research in, you know, cash crops, like you suggest, that might, you know, try to build from the bottom up and just provide an alternative so that we're not exhausting much of our arable land. Right. And one thing that has to happen, I think, if we want to expedite this process, is massive government funding into this. Right. Like, no one's really doing research on <laughs> hydroponics. Yeah. So we, we really need a breakthrough or something like that to push it to the next level. Yeah. And I think, I guess, like, even in the city of Atlanta, this is something that I just learned, but, like, that, like, one of Keisha's Bottoms, like, main main like goals is to address food deserts and food insecurity and so that's why i think they're pumping a lot of money into urban agriculture but it isn't necessarily addressing anything particularly like you like you said so i also think it requires more effective you know government funding into research and then funding into the actual implementation of effective systems back into society yeah, but it's going to be really hard to convince like lawmakers and policymakers to do that because you won't reap the benefits of like hydroponic research until at least like 2050. Right. Because right now what's going on in ag tech, which is like this new booming market of like crossing uh, agriculture and technology. But ag tech, ag tech is amazing. I really like ag tech, but the one qualm I have about ag tech is like it just maximizes and makes traditional farming more efficient. Right. So with the boom of ag tech, right, we're just making traditional farming more efficient, but traditional farming is eventually going to end. So maybe, maybe like I was born 20 years too early or something like that, (laughs) because if I was born today, like in 2020, I'd definitely do hydroponics. I'd definitely like go into the field, but for me right now, a person who's interested in agriculture, ag tech is just my best bet. Right, right. Another, speaking on the topic of ag tech, another huge part of um, smart agriculture is like the smart part of it. So a process that you guys were trying to do it is make things automated. Talk to me a little bit about why you were planning to automate these systems and at a large scale, how do you think that will perform? So the automation of our own automation is it didn't really work out because (laughs) the the team members didn't we had some setbacks but basically automation is the way to go in agriculture and because you know there's limited resources out there right now even traditional farmers they're trying to automate everything there's like tons of ag tech companies they try to like automate every single aspect of the farm they have like sensors at every single plant to see which plant needs a little bit more water here and there but automation is the future for agriculture and the way i view it in the way other some other agriculture people view it is like there's generation one technology and generation two technology and generation one technology is like you go out there yourself you measure the stuff yourself and you make changes that way 
and that stuff is kind of is cheaper right but generation two technology is like fully automating everything mm-hmm. and making everything just on your computer screen you can see all the data on your computer screen so that is my end goal if i i'm starting if i have a farm right now and i'm trying to automate stuff right now and that's the end goal for the farm is to fully automate it so i don't even have to go out to take care of it because right now i go out like every single day to measure the ph of the water to measure how much nutrients are in the water to like do all that stuff and the temperature and all the itty bitty data points that i need right but if i can automate it right it would save me like 10 15 minutes a day and in the future everything will be automated that's like a no-brainer so it's better to just like learn about it right now i see and i think that's a really cool intersection at least that your team like try to attempt because a lot of times it's like when you're trying to build like a hydroponic garden it's just like oh we'll have some students come in every day but i I guess I really appreciate how you're thinking about this in the future. How would this be replicated? I think that's like really significant. So, yeah. Yeah, because I was thinking if we just have like a regular hydroponic garden, how does that make me any different than like my ancestors <laughs> 10,000 years ago who discovered agriculture and they just tended the crops themselves? Right. So, I'm really just trying to push the envelope on like what can we do with agriculture because for me, the club is more about philosophy than actually growing the plants. Sure, the plants are cool, but excuse me, I really think the philosophy behind it and the principles and concepts that we're trying to put into the club is what really makes me excited. Right. And talking a little bit more about the club, where do you see the future of Smart Agro? Like, I, I know you're leaving off to college, so where do you really, like, what's your vision for this, you know, small school hydroponics club to really grow? So one thing I really think Smart Agro needs is more funding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because let me just say, that I, I've already talked, I think everything I've said is like with regards to price, right? Right. I've talked a lot about price and hydroponics is expensive. It's very, very expensive to start up. So we really need more funding and I'm not sure how we're going to get more funding, but in order for us to like do more stuff, we need more funding. And I really, we actually have two greenhouses now, two greenhouse tents now. So they can, the smart agriculture, the club can actually build a second like system to put into the second greenhouse or the new greenhouse. So there's a lot of, a lot of like room for expansion which is really good. But the one thing we have to look out for is how much money is in the bank account and what can we do with the money that we currently have. Right. That's a really good point. And I guess um, since my research is focused more on aquaponics with relation to iGEM, it seems as if like the cost of, you know, integrating even like another ecosystem, like you know, the fish ecosystem and connecting it to the hydroponics will only increase the price, even though it seems to increase the efficiency because you don't need to buy fertilizer and everything. But like, I definitely agree that there is still some significant barriers to like trying to get this actually into the market and commercially successful and being able to compete with like traditional agriculture as well. 
Yeah, and I think funding, right? Right. They should really introduce like hydroponics, aquaponics to like places where there is a food desert, mm-hmm. places where there is food insecurity, because we're lucky enough to live in an area where we have money to actually experiment. Like I put down all my friends, we put down our own money for this more than like a few thousand dollars. We all pulled in money together, but imagine like a less, less well-to-do area. They could never learn about this stuff because they don't have the money to start it up. Right. And I remember the first time I went to a hydroponic store, first thought I had looking at the price tags of everything. I was like, damn, everything's so expensive here. But the good thing is, like, it's reusable. Like, the system that I have in my backyard right now, I could probably use it for 20, 25 years until the buckets, like, break or something (laughs) like that. But, yeah, I think education is another big big part that a lot of people miss out on for hydroponics and agriculture. Mm -hmm. Because right now, like, the average farmer in America is 58. And... If that's a number that doesn't worry you, it should because all that's going to say is like, we're running out of farmers. Who's going to farm? And sure, a lot of farming these days in America is done by these big industrial farms, but the small farmers, the organic farmers, we really have to look out for them and we really need more education. Right. And I think the appeal of hydroponics and like another reason to implement these into these societies is that you can definitely put the argument that this is locally grown like what you like the effort that the community like puts into these systems is what like the value of the nutrients and results that will come back and I guess a major thing again that I talked to the urban planners about trying to put these hydroponic systems and aquaponic systems in low-income areas is a consideration of you really really need the community to be involved in the process of building these systems because once they care about it and once they care about like you know this community hydroponic system the more likely um, they're going to be tending to it and sustaining it and volunteering their time despite because they have a sense of pride. So I think like that's another area I definitely commend for saying like education is really important and putting resources on how to actually build these systems. Yeah, exactly. Like low income areas, it it would be amazing to have like a system there where the community can come together and bond over it. But I'm not sure how many lawmakers are thinking about that with policy makers that really think about right. the effect of hydroponics on communities. Right, right. That's true. I guess hopefully in the future we can integrate policy better with agriculture as well as just general science and research. Because I don't think anytime soon commercially hydroponics would seem attractive enough or profitable enough to actually pursue. I see it if the government invests more money and there is advancements, then the private sector probably can consider it. But I guess. Yeah, but there are some exceptions to the rules. I think the Middle East, um, in the Middle East, definitely hydroponics is going to explode because it's like a desert right. pretty much. And water is so valuable there because right. the, the only two things that hydroponics excels at is space and water. So... If you grow like a hydroponic garden in Dubai, right, there's not a lot of space. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of water. 
right. so perfect right yeah and i think they the ones in new york and new jersey mm -hmm. they're they're mainly losing money i'm pretty sure right. but it's a good effort yeah something's better than nothing but i guess there was a really cool project in atlanta um we were actually supposed to visit them but corona and whatnot but basically what they were doing is that they were taking shipping containers and they were putting vertical systems within the shipping containers and they were growing like hydroponically grown food and i guess the thing is since it's indoors it was a lot easier to manage and actually during the corona outbreak um, when we recently talked to them it seems like the number of grocery stores and consumers for their products has actually increased over like trying to get food from outdoors because I definitely think there has been some um, barriers with like trade and trying to get food from other places so I guess yeah uh, I was actually thinking about this the other day how corona can affect the growth of hydroponics mm -hmm. and I think corona really showed I'm going to talk about what I'm about to say next is about general agriculture and general U.S. economy mm -hmm. not just about hydroponics but it really showed that, well, first of all, let's talk about the economic side. Right. The economic side, how we farm in America is not like sustainable. Right. And for a few reasons, like the migrant workers, like if you go to the grocery store right now, all the food prices are up. And that shows that we clearly need like a better way to do stuff domestically within America in order to like make agriculture like better. Right. But and that's the economic side of it but there's also like a supply chain side to it where actually yeah there there definitely is a supply chain side to it and it's pretty like you can explain it by yourself but i think we really need different ways to farm because the current way of farming is not working out and especially in meat like the meat packing like the meat packing with all the corona cases mm -hmm. and all those like um what do you call it places where they raise like chickens pigs and cattle yeah those those stuff are not working out we need like better ways to do it like more organic ways and stuff like that yeah i guess my question on that is it seems like if we want to create a less industrialized way for meat and stuff and you know focus more on artificial meat, we might have to go back to the origins of like focusing more on locally grown food. And my thing is like, it seems as if the industrial way of doing things is very efficient, but not nutritious and ultimately not sustainable. But if we go back to the origins of, you know, community gardens and stuff like that, that's not as efficient, but it is a lot more nutritious and sustainable. So I guess the thing about hydroponic systems is, God, I, thoughts went in one side and came out the other. What was I going to say? <laughs> I guess the thing is, like, it seems like you have to sacrifice so much efficiency to get, like, such minimal yield, even though it's sustainable, nutritious, and healthier. So I guess that's just how I view it right now. But mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. Yeah. And... I think that it's the most of the blame is to put on like the big players in agriculture because if you look around here in Georgia, most of the small farmers, they've given up right? because the 
the profit maximization is actually negative at this point mm -hmm. for them because there's no way they can p compete against these big farms which have like top of the line tractors right top of the line ag tech people working for them mm -hmm. and I really hope hydroponics doesn't become like that right. in the future. Well, when I say that, I'm talking about like 2060, 2070, 2080, mm -hmm. that kind of time frame. But that's one worry that I have for hydroponics. I feel like hydroponics should be something that the common person, the common family should have in their backyard, right. not just these big companies or big vertical farms dominating hydroponics. Right. And I think that's the beauty of hydroponics. Um, anyone can do it. It's not just, so with regular farming, right? People in the city, maybe their version of farm is in their apartment, just like a few pots of like basil or something like that. But with hydroponics, you can grow like so much in such a small amount of space that every single household in the world could have something hydroponically grown in like a closet or just, I don't know, just somewhere. And the space it'll take up is so small that I just hope hydroponics becomes something universal, not just something that seems like sci-fi, <laughs> something that seems really hard to do. Right. And I think a lot of science is basing off of that futuristic ambition and trying our best to make it a reality. But definitely it seems as if you know, funding, resource allocation, there's a huge business side to agriculture and scientific research is that if they can work in harmony that can produce really great results but right now it does does not seem that way but i guess where i am optimistic is i did get a chance to talk to a few food banks who currently do not grow anything hydroponically but they were receptive to having their own hydroponic systems and having volunteers maintain it and it would be a lot more efficient because they don't need to rely on the inconsistent donations of groceries or other people so definitely I agree with the thing idea of like if each one of us had our own hydroponics farm and were open and receptive to the idea, it would probably, you know, probably not completely address like food insecurity, but at least minimize it to a certain extent. Yeah, because right now my own garden, I spent like $200. I haven't even like maximized my garden mm -hmm. in terms of like the amount of plants that I'm growing because I want to like try different stuff out. Mm -hmm. But I spent $200 and pretty much I have unlimited kale, lettuce, basil, bok choy. Like I eat that stuff every single day and I will have that stuff until like fall, like November. Yeah. I can eat kale every single day and it's like unlimited. <laughs> so it's to all the like listeners out there, if you really want to start your own hydroponic farm, just invest the $200. The upkeep is really cheap and it's like... I, I can't even finish the vegetables that I'm growing right now. Right, right. I'm just curious, like, what if all the people who are, like, you know, just having their own family gardens or something, like, switch to hydroponics? Like, I feel like that would also be pretty cool if they were more receptive to that. Yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely a good idea because um, the, the thing that attracted me to hydroponics at first was how clean it is. Mm -hmm. You don't need pesticides. You don't need fertilizers. You don't need all this like crazy stuff. All you need is just water in the plant. And like when I, when I grow, I'm growing cucumbers right now in a hydroponic system, I just take it off and eat it. When I grow lettuce, I don't even wash it because I know it's like safe to eat. And 
it takes up less space and I know people with family gardens it's it's a lot of work Mm -hmm. like it's a ton of work you have to do a lot but the thing about hydroponics is like if I was growing the amount of food that I was growing in the dirt it like regular like the regular way I would at least spend like an hour a day out there but right now all I do is I spend like 15 minutes every single day yeah that's right and I'm sure like as automated systems become more accessible the time that we need to put into that would also decrease making it a lot more efficient yeah um if I had automation on my farm the only thing I would need to do is just like go out there and get the vegetables I want to eat which is crazy to think about like after 10,000 years of agriculture all you have to do is go out and get the vegetables right like that's that blows my mind how far we've come yeah that's absolutely right well I guess kind of winding down on this entire conversation what's next for you like what are your future aspirations um you did mention ag tech so talk to me about that so I'm still exploring all my options on like what I want to do but uh Ag tech really, really calls to me because it's like intersection between science, agriculture, business and all that, which is something I really like. And these ag tech companies, uh, I follow a lot of these companies and the stuff they're doing is truly amazing. There's like this one company out there and it's it's like 23andMe for dirt. So you put your dirt into like a little vial and you send it to the company and they analyze all the like bacteria, all the like composition of the dirt, and they tell you how to like tend the dirt in a certain way. And that kind of stuff, those innovations in agriculture blow my mind. Right. But there's, I also might do like space, like I've mentioned space in this Mm -hmm. conversation. I really like space and I think space has a lot of potential for like future investment and whatnot. So I'm looking into space, maybe like commercial space, travel and like launching satellites and stuff like that but and also i'm also looking into finance and get into like investment banking and private equity so the door is very there there's so many i've never been in like a time in my life where there's so many options that right. i can't even choose oh i i almost missed an option like i'm also like learning computer science right now and programming so that's another option to go <laughs> But at the end of the day, I would really love to combine all my knowledge in like finance, computer science and biology all into like agriculture where something to do with it. Right. Right. Well, thank you so much, Adam, for being on this podcast. I truly enjoyed you having having you here. No problem. Thank you for having me. To follow more of Adam's work, visit www.smartagriculturelhs.org. Thanks, everyone, for listening.